I am incredibly thankful for our worship team as Pastor Scott is on vacation, who stepped in this morning. They did a wonderful job, and uh, we are so grateful for them. I want to encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of 2 Peter as we continue walking our way through this letter that Peter had written to a group of believers who were walking through persecution, who were experiencing opposition as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning, we will continue walking our way through the end of chapter 1, our verses that we'll cover this morning, verse 16 through verse 21 in Second Peter chapter 1. If you're new to North River Church, I want you to know that as we gather each week, We open God's Word together, we work verse by verse through a passage of Scripture, and so encourage you every week to bring your copy of God's Word with you. If you don't have a copy, I want to encourage you to look around you. There should be some under some seats close by. If you don't own one, just want to encourage you to take that home with you as our gift to you this morning. I'm just curious as we prepare to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, how many of you have ever been in an argument and you knew without a doubt that you were right? Without a doubt. No question whatsoever. If you're always right, just keep your hand up. There you go. I knew there were a few of you out there. You wonder what's the wrong in the church? There it is right there, right? Amen or ouch, it's okay. Hey, it's time change Sunday. Got to keep you alive this morning, right? Moving. How many of you have ever, though, been in an argument and just a little bit of the ways in, you actually knew you were wrong, but you weren't going to quit arguing? (laughs) You know you're wrong, but... Let's roll, right? Let's keep going. Let's, let's go. You know, it's interesting because there's typically a different perspective if you know that you're right about something, how you argue versus if you know that you're wrong about something, how you interact with someone. In fact, if you're right, if you know that you're right, if you know that truth is on your side, you're able to stand firm in what you're saying. You realize and understand that this is true, and I know that I can stake my argument. I would stake my life on the fact that what I'm saying is absolutely true. This morning, as we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, and walking through verse 21, Peter is going to outline for us the confidence that we can have in the Word of God and why that is so essential in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And so as I read the text this morning, I want you to take note of exactly what Peter is outlining for us as he declares that he, along with others, were eyewitnesses of Jesus's life, his ministry, his transfiguration, his resurrection, as he also pulls back and says that not only is that the truth, but also we have confidence because the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ. 
That will be Peter's argument. We're going to find out why that's so important as we continue walking our way through this message this morning. But I want to read the text for us, and then we'll walk back through it together. This is God's Word, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in God's word. It's this truth. If we hope to withstand the barrage of false teachers and false doctrine all around us, we must stand on a firm foundation. If we hope to withstand the barrage of false teaching and false doctrine that is all around us, we must stand on a firm foundation. You see, as we begin to dive into these verses, this is the problem that Peter is going to begin addressing, starting at this point and moving through chapter 2 and chapter 3 in his letter. It's becoming more apparent in chapter 2 as Peter is going to specifically talk about false teachers, and it's going to become even more specific in chapter 3 as he outlines for us what were these false teachers saying. And just to give you a little uh, glimpse, a little taste of what's coming, these false teachers had come into the church there as they were gathering and they were saying to the believers that, you know, you don't have to really worry about living a godly life because Jesus Christ is not coming back. He came, but don't worry about it. He's not coming back. Back And so, therefore, you can live however you want to live. You look at 
First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, as we looked last week at the first verses that we covered through verse 15. And if you remember, Peter is reminding these believers of who they are, their identity in Christ, and then says to them, in light of who you are in Christ, remember, this is how you should live. These are the characteristics that should be true in your life. Verses 5 through 8 of 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the false teachers were saying, don't worry about the way that you live. You can live however you want to live, free grace, Jesus came, he died, he rose, but he ain't coming back, so you don't have to worry about how you live. And Peter is going to very quickly go on the offensive with why this, if I can just put it in layman's terms, is just hogwash. I grew up in South Georgia, that's a word we used. You know, the reality is, as we look at this, not only do we have to recognize that at this point in time, they were facing false teachers and false doctrine, but follower of Jesus, I just want you to know, want to clue you in on the reality that that same thing holds true today for us. We face false teaching and false doctrine, not only from the culture outside, but from so-called churches within or pastors within as well, which means for every single one of us as a follower of Jesus, we should constantly be on guard preparing ourselves for the reality that at some point, false teaching is going to hit our doorstep. And the question is, how do we respond in light of that? Now, I want to just caution you for a second. There is not a boogeyman around every corner, okay? But for every single one of us as followers of Jesus, we must be prepared. We must be on guard. And Peter is going to outline for us here, how do we best do that? How do we best prepare ourselves for the barrage that we will experience in our lives as followers of Jesus? He's going to highlight for us in verses 16 through verse 18 that we have a firm foundation because we have eyewitness testimony of who Jesus is and what he's done. Eyewitness testimony. I want you to notice in verse 16, Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
I want you to notice as Peter is writing this, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter was actually one of Jesus' inner circle, one of the three of his disciples that was with him just about all the time. He's going to outline for us here in just a little bit one such event where he saw Jesus in his glory, and he's going to use this to say that I've seen the glorified Christ, and I'm confident that the glorified Christ will come again, and it's based on the reliability of the eyewitness testimony of Peter and those who saw the risen Christ. You know, it's interesting that as we look at this, Peter begins by saying first something in the negative. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Now, you can read between the lines here because what he's saying in this is not only did we not do that, But those who would come in and teach a false gospel are actually doing that themselves. They are nothing but grifters in it for some other gain, not to proclaim the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But Peter says, that's not us. We didn't come in and proclaim to you something that we cleverly devised and made up in our own minds. But notice what he says, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, we saw Jesus Christ. We were with him not only in his earthly ministry, but following his resurrection as well. Peter, along with the other disciples, and 5,000 plus, the scripture tells us, saw the risen Christ. We were eyewitnesses. But notice specifically in verse 17, he's going to highlight one instance where he and Two others were there and saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, glorified there with Moses and with Elijah. And they heard the voice of the Father say, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Notice verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Peter says in verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. If you're taking notes, you can write down these three accounts of What Peter is describing here, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. Mark chapter 9, 2 through 13. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. Each of those parallel passages in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry describe this situation. 
where Peter and James and John went with Jesus on the mountain and before their very eyes, they saw him, the scripture says, transfigured or in all of his glory. And with him in this moment were Moses and Elijah in glory as well. And the father from heaven declares about his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter says here, we saw this, we were eyewitnesses, and we also heard this. I don't think this is a word, but they were ear witnesses as well. Eyewitnesses, ear witnesses. You can look it up if it's not in there, submit it to dictionary.com, Pastor Michael, this date, right? Let them know we made it up here. Eyewitnesses, ear witnesses. We saw and we heard the reality of who the glorified Christ is. Now, the attack from those that will come, as he describes it in chapter 2 and chapter 3, is that the glorified Christ is not coming back. He's not going to return, and Peter is going to ground his understanding, his belief in the return of Jesus Christ, in the fact that he had seen him in his glory. He is confident that Jesus Christ will return. We have a firm foundation because we have eyewitness testimony. But not only that, I want you to notice that Peter doesn't stop there. And I want you to pay close attention to this because it is vitally important for us as followers of Jesus to understand. We have the eyewitness testimony. The gospels of Jesus moving forward through the New Testament accounts of the church and all that's transpired. And we know now that that is scripture in the same way that the Old Testament scripture was in Peter's day. And that's exactly what Peter is going to outline beginning for us in verse 19. He's going to look at the Old Testament scriptures and he's going to hold them up. And he says, not only do we have our eyewitness testimony, our ear witness testimony, but we also have the sacred writings, the holy scriptures that point us to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, which I just want to remind us this morning. We cannot, as followers of Jesus, minimize the importance of the Old Testament scriptures and simply lift up the New Testament as if they are not both connected together. God's word from Genesis to Revelation is true and it proclaims the reality of who he is and who Jesus Christ is. Here's the second truth. Not only can we have a firm foundation because we have eyewitness testimony, but we have a firm foundation because we have the prophetic word. Verse 19 through verse 21, I want you to notice what Peter says beginning in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. More 
fully confirmed. There is not a dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was the promise of the Messiah to come. The New Testament is the description of the Messiah who has come. Peter says here, we can't sit and say the Old Testament is unimportant. In fact, he says that the Old Testament is the exclamation point on the eyewitness testimony. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's a beautiful reminder for us as followers of Jesus that our confidence, yes, is in the eyewitness testimony of those who were with Jesus, those who saw the risen Christ. But our confidence as well is in the Old Testament scriptures that point us to the reality that a Savior was coming. You say, Pastor, prove that to me. I'm glad you asked. If you want to write down these two passages here, you can go back and look at them later this afternoon. I'd encourage you to do that. But the first is John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus, in an interaction with the Pharisees, says to them, you search the scriptures looking for eternal life. Which you know at this point, if it's recorded in the Gospels, he's speaking of scriptures in the Old Testament. You're searching the Old Testament to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the scribes of the day. You're searching the Old Testament looking for eternal life. And he says you lose sight that the Old Testament scriptures point to me. The Old Testament makes a beeline to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament scriptures point to the Savior who is to come. It points to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, you can write that passage down, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. On the road to Emmaus, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, he's walking along with two disciples. And they're having a conversation between themselves and with Jesus. And Jesus notices their countenance that they are not super happy. And, and they make this declaration, we, we thought just maybe Jesus, the one who was crucified, was the long-awaited Messiah that we were looking for. We thought maybe he was it. Jesus, as he's walking with them, Luke chapter 24, verse 27 says, beginning with Moses, it's the first five books of the Old Testament, written by Moses and the prophets. He related to them all the things in the scriptures that pointed 
to him. From Genesis to Malachi, what's the point of the Old Testament scriptures? They point to Jesus. They look forward to the Messiah who is to come. And Peter says here, we have the prophetic word. We have the Old Testament scriptures fully confirmed. And then in verse 20, he says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. True scripture is not just something someone has written or come up in their own minds, then what is it? Peter says here, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit which squares with what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 to Peter his, to Timothy his protege in ministry beginning in verse 14 he says but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings that would been the old testament listen to this which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped and complete for every good work. Where does Scripture come from? Peter says, it comes not from man, but it comes from God. The Holy Spirit carried men along to write the truth of the Word of God. You say, okay, I believe you. What difference does it make? That sounds wonderful that we have a firm foundation in God's Word. As you look at this, you realize that the New Testament was being written at the very point as Peter is writing this and then would have been compiled together. And now we have Genesis to Revelation, God's Word breathed out by Him, given to us to point us to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Why is that so important? Why is it so essential for us as followers of Jesus to look at God's word as we navigate through the barrage of false teaching and false teachers that are in this world? Because if we are going to withstand in this world, we must have something as followers of Jesus to anchor our lives to. 
You cannot anchor your life to your feelings because they change. You must anchor your life as a follower of Jesus to something that does not change. And what does not change is the Word of God. It does not change. It does not go away. I remember as a kid, one of my favorite games to play was tetherball. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's a pole fixed. There's a long string tied to the top of the pole, and there's a ball that looks like a volleyball on the end of it. You with me? If you're not, you missed out on your childhood, okay? Just put that out there. Nothing better than to hit that ball as hard as you can. It's going to swing around and hit somebody in the face with it. I mean, it's glorious. But one of the amazing things about the ball is the ball only goes so far because it's on a string tied to the pole in the center. And for us as followers of Jesus, we must remain tethered to the truth of God's word. It must be the fixture in our lives to which we remain tethered as a follower of Jesus. And you may have come in this morning and for you, you have listened to all of this and you say, Pastor, I appreciate what you're saying. I appreciate what you've laid out. I appreciate the eyewitness testimony. I appreciate the the prophetic word that the Old Testament is. But I don't trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I want you to know this morning that for you, that is the first step that you need to take. Is to look and to ask the question, is what's recorded here true? And if it is true, the only logical response is to submit your life to Jesus Christ. Follower of Jesus, do you realize, I mean seriously, that daily in this world in which we live, and even within some so-called churches, that there is a constant onslaught attack against the truth of God's Word. How will you prepare yourself? How will you be ready when the attack comes to know that you can stand and defend what you believe. It will only be if you remain tethered to the truth of God's word. Why every single Sunday do we come in and open God's word and walk through it? Because I am absolutely convinced that as your pastor, the greatest thing I can do week in and week out is come prepared to 
open God's word and to unpack a passage of scripture and try and help us apply it to our lives so that as we walk out in this world, we're better equipped to live within the hostile environment that we find ourselves in. Because I could stand up and read Reader's Digest, but listen, you'd go home and you would starve to death spiritually if you do not have God's Word. Which means for you personally, we have one hour a week as we gather and open God's Word together. And just remind you, it's not enough. It's not enough. For every single one of us as a follower of Jesus, we need to be in God's Word. We need to be studying God's Word. We need to be equipping ourselves with the truth of God's Word. As the attacks come, we know what God's Word says, and so we can respond in the attack. We can respond when there's false teaching. We can respond in the midst of that. So let me ask you that question. As a follower of Jesus, would you say, sitting here this morning, and if you lie, God knows, right? That you are prepared for what may come. That you are ready, regardless of what the attack may be, regardless of what the false teaching may be, that you are prepared to withstand in the midst of it all because of the truth of God's word that's deep in your heart. You may look and say, I got a little bit of work to do. And I would dare say for every single one of us, we got a little bit of work to do. But if anything would challenge us, encourage us this morning, may Peter's words here help us to see the beauty of God's word and how desperate we are for it in our lives as followers of Jesus. Would you bow your head with me as our worship team makes their way back up? You may have come in today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And yet as we've talked about the eyewitness testimony of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, the truthfulness of that, the prophecy that proclaimed that a Messiah would come in the Old Testament it was fulfilled in the New. You've come to the point today of realizing that you need to take the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. We'd love nothing more than to help you take that step. There's an opportunity before you right now to respond by faith, trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. His life, his death, his resurrection makes it possible for your sins to be forgiven and for you to be brought into the family of God. Would you respond by faith this morning, trusting in him alone? If you are a follower of Jesus already, 
Would you take this opportunity to remind yourself of the battle that daily you and I are in? And would you cling to God's word in your life? And maybe this is an opportunity of recommitment for you to spend time in God's word, studying it, learning it, memorizing it, so that you're prepared as the attacks will come. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it challenges us and equips us. Lord, we ask that you would use your word in a powerful way in our lives this morning. Draw sinners to yourself. God, help us as followers of Jesus to see the beauty of your word. God, that we would tether our lives to it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand as we sing? Our altars are open. Our pastors are down front.